0: My pleasure to welcome you this morning as we've gathered together to, uh, to worship, and uh, as you see, the highlight of our worship service, the climax of our service will be our observance of the ordinance of the Lord's Supper, the, the ordinance that the Lord has given us, the elements that he has given us to proclaim his death until he comes, and to celebrate our union with him by grace through faith, and to celebrate our union, our communion with each other by virtue of our covenant relationship to be his people in this place and so we focus on uh, on coming to the Lord's table as we worship today and our call to worship will come from psalm 16 psalm 16 Psalm 16, a mictum of David. Preserve me, O God, for in you I put my trust. O my soul, you have said to the Lord, you are my Lord. My goodness is nothing apart from you. As for the saints who are on the earth, they are excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Their sorrows shall be multiplied who hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood I will not offer nor take up their names on my lips. O Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad. And my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. Let's pray together. Lord God, we're so thankful that we can gather together uh, today. And offer you our praise and our worship. Lord, we give you praise for who you are. We thank you that you are our God. And that you pour out your blessings and goodness upon the earth. Lord, we thank you for your word that gives us counsel. And the instructions that you give us. We thank you that you are at our right hand. And we shall not be moved. And Lord, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to live a sinless life and to die on the cross to satisfy the punishment that we deserve. And we thank you that you did not leave his soul in Sheol, you did not allow your Holy One to see corruption, but you raised him from the dead. And Lord, we thank you that he has ascended and right now seated at your right hand, even now interceding for us, living forever to make intercession for us and to plead for us. And we thank you that when he sat down at your right hand, you sent to us the Spirit to be with us and in us and that we are in your presence in the person of the Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, we pray that as we worship, your Spirit would enable us and empower us to be the kind of worshipers after which you seek, those who will worship you in spirit and in truth. And it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Right, I'm going to invite you to take your hymnal and turn with me to hymn 300 as we continue to worship this morning. Take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, we have been following Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke on the second missionary journey that Paul uh, set out on. The first he went with Barnabas to the region of Galatia and the second missionary journey he has taken Silas and gone to Europe. And uh, we saw them uh, uh, leave Philippi after being beaten with rods, imprisoned, and encouraging the brethren. Now we pick up their journey as they continue through the continent of Europe, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 17. Our text today will begin in the first verse. And uh, interesting, we saw that Luke uh, was referring to himself as we... Uh, while they were in Philippi, and now he goes back to the third person. It's likely that Luke was left behind in Philippi to encourage the new believers there, the new church in Philippi, and Paul, and Silas, and Timothy go on this journey. Uh, So we believe Luke is writing these words. He's written some as an eyewitness, but most profoundly, we believe that Luke is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writing words breathed out by God the very words of God, so that when we read the words that Luke wrote in the book of Acts, we are actually reading the words of God. God is speaking to us through his perfect word. And so we come to a, a time in our service where the master, the creator, the sustainer of the universe speaks to us as we listen, as we hear his word. Acts chapter 17, verse 1. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, went to them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. And some were persuaded, and a great multitude of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. And so here we see in this text that Paul uses the Old Testament scriptures to prove that Jesus is the Christ. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is true. Lord, we thank you for the Old Testament the law, the prophets, the writings that point to Jesus Christ and Lord we thank you for the ministry of the Apostles and the New Testament that shows us all of the Old Testament, the law, the prophets, the writings fulfilled and the life and the death and the resurrection and the ministry of Christ through his local church. Lord we thank you for your word and we thank you that it is true and Lord we thank you that it points us to Jesus and points us to salvation by your grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And we thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit that enables us to hear truth, to understand truth, to believe truth, and then to walk in truth. Lord, may your Spirit teach us and lead us today as we seek to understand better the person and work of Jesus Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, you know, you've got to admire the persistence, the resiliency, the courage, and the commitment of Paul. Paul had been called to be the apostle to the Gentiles. Jesus personally appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus and told him that he had appointed him to stand before kings and rulers and to take the gospel to the, to the, to the Gentiles. And Paul is absolutely and totally committed ...to that mission. He is committed to that task. He performed that first missionary journey going into Galatia... ...where he was, he was beaten and stoned and left for dead... ...and drug out of the city. And he continued to go from town to town, from city to city. He came back for a little while, went to Jerusalem... ...and, uh, and then immediately embarked on a second missionary journey... ...where he takes Silas with him and goes into Europe... ...goes to Philippi. And there in Philippi... He is arrested, drugged before the magistrate, beaten with rods, and put into prison. And so Paul had just been, Paul and Silas, have just been beaten with rods, bloodied and battered, thrown into prison, chained to the wall, set free by an earthquake, and then they are let out. They go and encourage the brethren, and they immediately go on their trip. They traveled from Philippi to Thessalonica which is a journey of about 100 miles, so that would be like, uh, after being beaten with rods, that would be like walking from here to Birmingham, going to Birmingham uh, in a time when cars had not been invented. And so you see his resiliency, his persistence, his courage, his commitment to accomplish the mission that Jesus had given to him, to take the gospel, to take the good news, ...to the ends of the earth to preach Jesus where his name was not known. We see that tenacity and that perseverance... ...and inspired by the Apostle Paul and his commitment... ...even having been beaten with rods... ...to go to walk to another city a hundred miles away... ...and go to the synagogue and continue to preach. And as we see this, he arrives in Thessalonica... And we see that Jesus, that Paul uses the Old Testament scriptures to prove that Jesus is the Christ. And this, this text reveals a couple of things, two things about Paul. As he uses the Old Testament scriptures to prove that Jesus is the Christ, we see something of his method and we also see his message. He, uh, he uses the Old Testament to prove that Jesus is the Christ. And in so doing, this text perfectly sets the Lord's table for us as we see the message that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and that Jesus is that Christ. And Paul uses the Old Testament scriptures to demonstrate that, to prove that. And so we see Paul's method. It says he came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, went to them for three Sabbaths. And so Paul was appointed by Jesus to be the apostle to the Gentiles, to be the apostle to the Greeks, but when he went from town to town, it was his custom, it was his habit to begin at the synagogue. You remember though, when he got to Philippi, there was no synagogue, but he went to the place where the the women were meeting by the river for prayers. There probably weren't 10 Jewish men in Philippi, there weren't enough ...Jewish men for there to be a synagogue... ...so the women met for prayer at the river... ...and he went there and God opened the heart of Lydia... ...and the members of her household... ...to, uh, to heed the things spoken by Paul... ...and the church at Philippi was planted and established. But now when he gets to Th- the Thessalonica... ...there is a synagogue of the Jews... ...and so that's where Paul goes. And that makes sense. The synagogue was where the Jews would come together... ...and study the Old Testament scriptures... ...and to pray... And to one of the things that they would pray is they would pray that God would send his Messiah, that God would send his Christ. And so it makes perfect sense, it's perfectly logical for Paul to go to the synagogue. He also had been schooled as a rabbi. He had credentials. And so when he would go to a synagogue, they would see him as a visiting rabbi, and he would be asked to deliver the message. And what better place to talk about Jesus than to go to a place where people had come to study the Old Testament Scriptures that talk about Jesus, that teach about Jesus, that point to Jesus. In the Old Testament Scriptures, we see that they, they are all about Jesus. The Old Testament is a Christian book because it points to the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. The law, the prophets, the writings. Jesus on the road to Emmaus when he met two of his disciples on the day that he had risen from the dead. They were sad and they were discouraged. And Jesus uh, rebuked them and said, How slow and hard of heart you are to believe all that the scriptures has said about the Christ. And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he began to open the scriptures and teach them the things written concerning himself. The Old Testament scriptures are all... ...about Jesus. And so it makes perfect sense for Paul to go to the rabbi, to the synagogue... ...where people were studying the Old Testament... ...a book about Jesus... ...and point to them and show them that Jesus... ...is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah... ...that was promised by the Old Testament. And what better place to go... ...to declare that the Messiah has come... ...the Christ has come in the person of Jesus... ...than a place where people had gathered together... ...to pray for the coming of the Messiah... They've come to study the old, scriptures, old Testament scriptures that point to the Messiah. They have come to pray that God would send the Messiah. So Paul goes to the synagogue to tell them that the Messiah has indeed come. And the Messiah is Jesus Christ. The Messiah, the Christ, is Jesus of Nazareth. And so it's his custom to go to the synagogue. Uh, and for three Sabbaths he reasoned with them. Now also in the synagogue there's a Jew, there's, the Jews come there... But there would also be Gentile converts to Judaism that would come to the synagogue uh, for Old Testament study and for prayers. And there would also be probably a number of God-fearing Gentiles, those that believed the God of Israel, that came that uh, came to Him looking for truth, looking for salvation, but had stopped short of full conversion, stopped short of, of, uh, of being full proselytes to Judaism. And so you would have this audience, mostly Jews, some Gentile converts to Judaism, and some God-fearing Gentiles. They had gathered together to study the Old Testament and to pray. And Paul would come, and he would go there and declare that the Old Testament points to Jesus and that the Messiah has come. God has sent the Christ and his name is Jesus of Nazareth. And we see that Paul goes and he uses the Old Testament Scriptures to prove that Jesus is the Christ. And, and so uh, uh, that's, that's his method. He goes to the synagogue and he uses the Scriptures. And we see three things that, that Paul uses the Old Testament Scripture. Verse 2, for three Sabbaths he reasoned. ...with them in the Scriptures. Now this word reason... ...means to have a discussion... ...to entertain questions. And so Paul, even though he was being a rabbi... ...and he would come and be asked to deliver the sermon... ...it was not just a one-way conversation. Paul did not just come and deliver a message but he reasoned with them. He opened the floor for dialogue. He opened the floor for questions. He opened the floor for concerns. That word reason means to have a discussion, a two-way conversation. Paul would present the truth of the Old Testament using the Old Testament to prove that Jesus was the Christ, but he would open the floor for questions. He would open the floor for dialogue. He He was not threatened by objections. And he wanted the people to understand, and so he reasoned with them. He heard their questions and answered them. He heard their objections and addressed them. He reasoned with them from the Scriptures. The Christian faith is logical, and it is reasonable. And the, the, the fact that Jesus is the Christ is logically and reasonably discerned. ...from the Old Testament Scripture. So Paul was not afraid of questions. He was not afraid of objections. He was not afraid of dialogue. And he opened the floor, and for three Sabbaths... ...he reasoned with them. Engaged in discussion with them. And you know, as you think about this... ...you you wonder uh, about his knowledge of the Scripture. He was not afraid of questions. He was not afraid of objections. And we ask ourselves, you know... am, ...am I comfortable enough with the Scripture... ...to reason with people... You know, I can share the gospel, but when they have questions and objections, am I confident enough with the scripture? Have I been a good enough student of the scripture to be able to entertain questions, to be able to answer objections? You know, um, one of the things that I think a lot of people have lost in our culture is the ability to have reasonable conversation with people with whom we disagree or people who disagree with us. Sometimes we feel threatened by questions, we feel threatened by objections, we don't know how to answer them, and and I think that the example of Paul challenges us to be good enough students of Scripture, to be students of Scripture that we're not afraid of questions, we're not afraid of objections, that we believe that the Christian faith is logical and reasonable and and logically and reasonably uh, derived from the Scriptures. And so we need to be good enough students of Scripture to not be afraid of questions, to not be afraid of objections, but to always be ready to give a reason for the hope that is within us and to do it with gentleness and respect. Paul went to the synagogues and reasoned with them from the Scriptures. So Paul uses the Old Testament Scriptures to prove that Jesus is the Christ. And he does that by reasoning, by engaging in conversation, discussion, questions and answers. And then second, he explains for three Sabbaths, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that Christ had to suffer and raise again. And so, the, so, so Paul would engage in discussion. He would hear questions. He would answer their objections. But he would also explain the truth. And, and this is to expose the truth of gospel, to, to teach the truth and explain the truth. And uh, uh, you know, so Paul was a, an expository preacher. He would explain, expose the truth of the Bible He would explain to them, open, this word means to open it up to them. He would open the scripture and explain the truth and apply the truth, expose the truth of God's word. Let God's word speak by opening it up and explaining what it meant and explaining the the truth of God's word. And so he would reason with them and he would explain to them the truth of the gospel, the truth of the word of God. And then third, he demonstrated that the Christ had to suffer and raise from the dead. And so, and remember, when the, Luke here is talking about the Scriptures, he is just talking about the Old Testament. That's all they have. The New Testament has not been written. Paul's going to write half of it, and he hasn't done that yet. And so uh, uh, there is no New Testament. So when the, the, the book of Acts speaks of the Scriptures... It's speaking of the Old Testament scriptures. And so Paul used the Old Testament to prove that Jesus was the Christ by reasoning with the people, by explaining the Old Testament scriptures to the people, and then third, by demonstrating that Christ had to suffer and rise again and saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. And so the word demonstrating means to lay beside. So Paul would reason with people about the old testament scriptures her, answer their questions and objections he would explain to them the truth of the scripture and then he would take the truth of the scripture and lay it alongside of the facts about jesus and he would demonstrate that jesus was the fulfillment of these prophecies the fulfillment of the scripture so he would lay beside the truth of Scripture that he had explained, and he would demonstrate that those promises, those prophecies, those themes had been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so he proved that Jesus was the Messiah, the Christ, by laying aside the facts about Jesus, laying them aside, the truths and the promises and the prophecies of the Old Testament Scripture. And so Luke tells us Paul's method. He would go to the synagogue where Jews, god fearing Greeks, and proselytes to Judaism... ...had gathered together to study the Old Testament and to pray. And Paul would come and reason with them, explain to them, and demonstrate to them... ...that Jesus was the Christ. So we see his method, and then second, we see his message... What did he reason with them? What did he explain? What did he demonstrate? Verse 3, that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. And so the, the Christ, the Old Testament scriptures say that the Messiah, the promised one, the Savior must suffer. And this was radical to the, to the Jews, to those who had gathered together in that synagogue... ...to study the Old Testament scriptures and to pray for the Messiah. They were looking for one. They were praying for a conquering warrior. They were looking for a Messiah that would come and destroy their enemies... ...restore their prosperity and establish an earthly kingdom... They were looking for a conquering warrior. They were looking for a military hero. They were looking for a glorious king. They were looking for one who would experience no defeat, no pain, no suffering, but come in strength and inaugurate and establish the kingdom of God. They were looking for a warrior. They were looking for a king. They were looking for a ruler. They had no concept of a suffering Messiah, a suffering Christ. And yet Paul comes to the synagogue and he reasons with them. He explains to them. He demonstrates to them from the Old Testament scriptures, know that the Christ had to suffer. The Christ must suffer. Suffer. He used the Old Testament scriptures and I wish that we had his outline. I wish we had his manuscript. I wish we had what Paul used to reason to them. But we can also use our reasoning and we can look at the Old Testament scriptures and, 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 and pick out some that probably he used, that he explained to them, that he used to demonstrate, to lay aside the person and work of Jesus, to prove that he was the Christ and at the very beginning. From beginning to end, the Old Testament speaks of the Christ and the Messiah. And at the very beginning, we see that the Christ, the Savior, must suffer. Way back in the Garden of Eden, way back, as far as Genesis chapter 3, as soon as sin had entered the creation, as soon as sin had entered the Garden, God came to His sinful people and He promised a Savior. He promised a Messiah. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, He said, "...one would come from the seed of woman." And that one who comes from the seed of woman, his heel would be bruised by the serpent. The serpent would bruise his heel. The serpent would attack. The Savior would suffer. The deliverer, the promised one, would experience pain as the serpent bruised his heel. His heel must be bruised before he would crush the head of the serpent. We can turn to Psalm 22, where David, in the low point of his life, cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And David describes events that would never have happened. Taking place that he would have never experienced in his life. A, A thousand years before crucifixion had been invented by the Romans... ...David in Psalm 22, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit... ...perfectly and graphically describes death by crucifixion. He describes through the prophecy of the Holy Spirit... ...that the Christ, the Messiah, His greater Son, the Son of David... The greatest son of David would be forsaken by God, despised by men, that his bones would be out of joint, that his heart would be melted like wax, that his tongue would cling to his jaws, that his hands and his feet would be pierced. Psalm 22 graphically describes the suffering of the son of David, the king that comes according to David's line, the one who would sit on the throne. We can turn to Isaiah 53, where Isaiah speaks of a suffering servant, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, despised and rejected by men, smitten by God and afflicted. Isaiah 53 speaks of a suffering Messiah, a suffering Christ, a suffering servant, afflicted by God. Because he must be wounded for our transgressions. He must be crushed for our iniquities. Oppressed and afflicted. Because all we like sheep have gone astray. And God would lay on him the iniquity of us all. And he would crush his servant. It would please him to afflict him. Because it's his plan and his purpose to redeem his sinful people to himself through a suffering Messiah, a dying Christ. And so Paul would go to the synagogue and reason with the people and explain these scriptures and lay aside what the Bible said, the Old Testament scripture said with the facts about Jesus' life to prove that Jesus ...was the Christ. The Christ had to suffer. And Jesus suffered as he died on the cross... ...for the sins of his people. And so the method, go to the synagogue... ...where people are studying the Old Testament... ...and praying for the Messiah... ...and reason with them, explain to them... ...demonstrate from the scriptures... ...that the Christ had to suffer. But the second aspect of his message... ...is not only did the Christ have to suffer... But look what it says there in verse 3. And rise again from the dead. Rise again from the dead. So Paul reasoned from the scriptures, answered their questions and their objections. Explained to them these prophecies, these promises. And demonstrated from the scripture, laid it alongside the life of Jesus, that Jesus was the Christ. Genesis 3.15, yes, the servant would bruise his heel, but the Savior, the one from the seed of woman, would crush the head of the serpent. Conquering death for all who believe. In Psalm 22, after uh, uh, the son of David, the greater son of David is forsaken by God, despised, after his hands and feet are pierced, God will hear him. God will vindicate him. And he will declare the name of the Lord in the assembly, Psalm 22 says. The, the suffering servant dies, he suffers, but he rises from the dead and now proclaims the glory of God to all of his people, to all of the assembly. In Isaiah 53, after he has had on, laid on him the iniquity of us all, after he has been crushed, after he's been afflicted, bruised for our transgressions, The prophet says that he will see the labor of his soul and he will justify many. The iniquity of us all will be laid on him and by his resurrection, many will be justified. All who come to him in repentance and faith. In the psalm we read this morning, Psalm 16, again, David speaking of his greater son, says his soul will not be abandoned in Sheol and he will never see corruption. And Peter used this passage in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost to show that David's not speaking of himself when he says his soul will not be abandoned in Sheol, he will never see corruption. He says David's tomb's right here in Jerusalem. He's buried and it's here today. So he's not speaking of himself. He is speaking of the Christ, the Messiah, to be risen from the dead. And so Paul Paul uses the Old Testament Scripture to prove that Jesus is the Christ. He reasons with them. He answers their objections. And their objections would be many. Paul will say that to the, to the Jews, the cross is a stumbling block. And so they would have objections. They would have questions. It's a stumbling block. They, they believe that the Christ, the Messiah, would be a conquering hero. That He would suffer no harm. He would defeat His enemies restore prosperity to His people, establish a kingdom. And so the cross, a dying Messiah, was a stumbling block to them, an offense over which they would trip, because they had no concept, no idea of a suffering Messiah, a dying Christ, a crucified Lord. That was a stumbling block to them. But Paul would go to the the synagogue, And he would reason with them. He would answer their objections, answer their questions, and explain these passages and demonstrate to them by laying the Old Testament alongside the person and work of Jesus Christ to prove that he was the Christ. It was a stumbling block to the Jews, and Paul also says it's foolishness to the Greeks. The message of the cross was foolishness to the Greeks. The message that they cannot save themselves, that they are utterly, completely helpless and hopeless, and the only way that they can be saved is to put their faith in a Jewish man who was convicted by a Roman court of treason and was executed. That was a foolish message to the Greeks. That I've got to put my trust in a crucified Jewish man in order to be made right with God, in order to be saved. To the Greeks, that was foolishness, but Paul would go where they were gathered, where these God fearing Greeks were gathered, and answer their objections. Explain the Scripture and lay aside the prophecies with the facts of Jesus to prove that Jesus was the Christ. The message of cross is offensive. We, We sang about it in the old rugged cross, the shame and reproach. It's offensive that you and I are so utterly sinful totally depraved, absolutely hopeless, completely helpless to do anything to save ourselves, that we are so bad, we are so depraved, we are so helpless, we are so hopeless that the only hope for us is for God to become a man, for God the Son, the Son of God, to leave the glory of heaven, take upon Himself a human body... Do what we could not do for ourselves, in perfectly fulfilling the law. And then die on a cross to satisfy the penalty, the punishment that we deserve from God. We are so wicked, so depraved, so evil, so helpless, so hopeless. The only hope for us is for the Son of God to die for us. That's an offensive message to people who want a healthy self-esteem. Paul would go, and he would use the Old Testament Scriptures to answer those objections. To the Jews, it was a stumbling block. To the Greeks, it was foolishness. To all, it's an offense. Paul would answer those objections, explain the truth of the Scripture, lay aside the prophecies with the facts about Jesus to prove that Jesus is the Christ, to prove that He is the Messiah. And and you know, that's an encouragement to us. The Old Testament is a Christian book. The Old Testament is all about Jesus. The Old Testament points us to the finished work of Jesus and to His person and to salvation that is available only through Him by God's grace through our faith. The Old Testament shows God creating, creating humans in His own image so that they could know Him. But the Old Testament shows that man... ...fell into sin, and as soon as man fell into sin... ...God promised the Savior, one from the seed of woman... ...who would have his heel bruised by the serpent... ...would ultimately raise from the dead and crush his head. The Old Testament records God working through... Uh, ...His people working through Israel to bring the Messiah... ...to bring the Christ into the world, the Savior of the world. The Old Testament is, shows the outworking of God's plan of redemption... ...as He works in human history until the fullest of time when He brings His Son into the world. The Old Testament is filled with promises of the Messiah, promises of the Christ, promises of a suffering servant who will be crushed and afflicted by God because He is bearing the iniquities of His people. Hundreds of promises fulfilled in Jesus. The Old Testament is full of themes that run through the Scripture that all find their ultimate fulfillment in Jesus. Themes of life and light and grace and mercy and atoning sacrifices. Themes through the Old Testament that find their fulfillment in Christ Jesus. The Old Testament is filled with institutions and events and even individuals that foreshadow the coming of the Christ, the Messiah, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And after the resurrection, Jesus explained all the things concerning Himself, beginning with the law, the prophets, and the writings, that the Christ must suffer and rise again. And then Paul, when he goes to Thessalonica and he goes to the synagogue, he takes the history of redemption, the themes throughout the Old Testament, the figures and institutions and events that foreshadowed his coming, and all of the promises that find their fulfillment in Jesus. And he took the Old Testament, he laid it aside, the facts, the truth about Jesus, to prove that he was the Christ. So, his method is to go to the synagogue and open the scriptures. His message is that Christ had to suffer and raise from the dead, and that Jesus is the Christ. And what's the result? Verse 4 Some of them were persuaded, some of them were convinced. Some of the Jews overcame that stumbling block and believed. Some of the Greeks, in fact, a great multitude of the devout Greeks, overcame the foolishness of the cross and believed. And even some of the leading women, influential women, overcame the offense and understood that they were nothing, that they were helpless and hopeless. They might be leading women in Thessalonica, but before God they were utterly sinful and helpless and hopeless. And the only hope for them was to turn from their sin and put their trust in Jesus God opened the hearts of some of the Jews, a great multitude of the Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. And they turned from their sin and they put their trust in Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah that the Old Testament pointed to, that the Old Testament reveals. So Paul went to the synagogue and he used the Old Testament Scriptures to prove that Jesus was the Christ. And that passage perfectly sets the table for us to come to the Lord's table as we celebrate the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we think about this text, you know, first we ask ourselves, you know, have I overcome the offense of the cross? The stumbling block, the foolishness? Have I become convinced that Jesus is the Christ and that the only hope for me is to confess my total sinfulness, my helplessness, my hopelessness, and to turn from my sin and put my trust in Jesus Christ and in Him alone, to believe that He is the Christ, that He is the Messiah, He is the one that the Old Testament Scriptures point to and that the New Testament Scriptures reveal if I turn from my sin and put my trust in Jesus Christ and in Him alone, have I been born again to everlasting life? Do I believe that He died for my sins, that He was crushed for my iniquities, that He was bruised for my transgressions, and only by His stripes I can be healed? And do I believe that God raised Him from the dead to show that sacrifice was accepted? And if I turn from my sins and put my trust in Jesus Christ and in Him alone, have I been born again? And we also look at this text and we ask ourselves, you know, we just admire the resiliency of Paul. The courage, the tenacity, the persistence, being beaten with rods and then going on a 100 mile trip by foot to tell other people about the Christ, the Messiah. You know, he's called us all to be disciple makers, he's called us all to be his witnesses. And are we willing to show the persistence, the tenacity of Paul even <laughs> no, we're not nearly as persecuted as him, but are we, we show that tenacity and that persistence to go and talk about Jesus no matter what it cost? Do we have that persistence and that tenacity to accomplish the mission that he's given us to make disciples, to be his witnesses? Are we committed to that task, that calling? And are we good enough students of the Scripture that we can answer questions, not afraid of questions, not afraid of objections? Are we good enough students of the Scripture to reason with people and to show reasonably and logically that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and the only way to the Father? Are we good enough students of the Scripture to explain, to explain, to open the Word of God and show how it points to Jesus? what it says about Jesus, what it teaches about Jesus, what it teaches we must believe about Jesus, what it teaches about how we, what we must do in order to be saved. To answer their objections, to explain the truth, and to lay aside what the Bible says, facts about Jesus. Are we good enough students of the Scripture to open the Scripture and to prove, to use the Bible to prove that Jesus is the Christ, the Savior of the world. We need to commit to be good students of the Bible and to be ready always to give a reason for the hope that is within us and to do it with gentleness and respect, as Peter tells us. Students of the Scripture. Tenacious, persistent, courageous. Using the Bible to reason, to explain, and demonstrate that the Christ had to suffer, and Jesus died on the cross. And and rise again on the third day, and Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ. Do I believe it? Am I committed to tell it? And am I equipped to demonstrate it from the Scripture? And one of the ways that we communicate the truth about Jesus is by coming to his table. We remind ourselves the truth of Jesus. We remind ourselves that God became a man, that God became flesh, that he took upon himself a real body that had veins in it that were filled, flowing through those veins was real blood. He became human in every way, was tempted in every way that we are, shared in our weakness and he died on the cross to take our penalty. And God raised him from the dead. And we, he gives us these elements to proclaim that message. And to demonstrate the source of our hope and our faith. As we demonstrate our union with Jesus. By God's grace through faith. And we also demonstrate our union with one another. Our communion with one another. As we have come together because of our common belief in one Savior, one Lord, and we've entered into a covenant relationship with one another to be his witnesses in Aberdeen, in Monroe County, in Mississippi, North America, the ends of the earth. We've covenanted together on that mission. And we reaffirm, recommit to that covenant when we come to this table. And Paul also says, we proclaim his death until he comes. This is one way that God has given us to proclaim what Jesus has done for us and the source of our faith. And so we come to this table believing that the Christ had to suffer and rise again and that Jesus is the Christ, the only source of our hope and our help and our life. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the truth of it. And Lord, we pray that as we now examine our hearts, Lord, that we would, your spirit would bring to light any sin that we are clinging to, that we are holding to, that we might confess and repent, forsake it and receive the cleansing that Jesus provided for us on the cross so that we might come to your table with clean hands and pure hearts. Lord, we also ask that you help us, your Spirit, help us to examine our relationship with one another and our unity, our covenant, our commitment to each other as we prepare to come to this table together as a community, expressing our unity and our one faith, our one Lord, our one Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that you grant us grace to celebrate this ordinance in a worthy manner. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.